I suppose that what is on the mind of more people, at least in the realm of Christianity, in the realm of the church, uh, today would be the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so many people seem to be unaware uh, that there are two stages to the second coming of Christ. Many prophecies in the Old Testament tell us of His coming in power as the Son of Man to reign and to rule. Let's read one of those passages from the book of Zechariah, uh, the 14th chapter, and we'll touch on the high points in verses 1 through 5. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as He fights in the day of battle. And in that day His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west. Incidentally, uh, geologists have proved that there is an earthquake fault line under the Mount of Olives that will split the mountain exactly as the Bible said it would. Praise God! Hallelujah! You see, true science does not ever disprove the Bible. True science always shows out that the Bible is true. Amen. And then it says, Thus the Lord my God will come, and all the saints with you. Now I want you to understand that that is the second coming of Jesus Christ. That is the Armageddon return. Amen. That is the very end return. After the tribulation. It concludes the great tribulation. However, there's a difference between the rapture and the second coming. And without uh, going into a long discussion of this, because we're talking today actually about the rapture, but let me give you some of those contrasts between the two phases of the comings. There's actually two comings. There's the rapture, when, when Jesus comes back for His saints, and there's the second coming at the end of the Great Tribulation when Jesus comes back with His saints. At the rapture, there is a translation of all believers. At the second coming, there is not a translation. At the rapture, translated saints go to heaven. At the second coming, translated saints return to earth. At the rapture, the earth is not judged per se at that moment. Now, the, the judgments and the wrath of God will be poured out during the Great Tribulation period, but at the rapture, uh, there's not this big general judgment. There's tribulation first. There's wrath of God first. At the second coming, the earth will be judged, and righteousness will be established forever and forever. At the rapture, and one of, one of the, probably the biggest signs, or the biggest thing that proves to my heart that the rapture of the church is a pre-tribulational rapture is because the rapture is imminent. It could happen at any moment, and it is signless. There are no signs that need to be fulfilled before the rapture can take place. The second coming, however, was predicted often in the Old Testament, and it follows definite predicted signs including great tribulation the rapture of the church is for believers only 
the second coming of Christ will affect all of humanity. The rapture of the church is before the day of wrath. The second coming of Jesus Christ concludes the day of wrath. The rapture of the church contains no references to Satan, but at the second coming of Christ, Satan will be bound. <laughs> Hallelujah. Isn't that good gospel news? Hallelujah. There will be a day when Satan will be bound for a thousand years, the Bible tells us. That's at the second coming of Christ. That's at the Armageddon return of Christ, we'll call it. At the end of the tribulation. At the rapture of the church, Christ comes for His own. At His second coming, He comes with His own. At the rapture, He comes in the air. And the Greek word there for air or meet Him in the clouds, it means He comes back to about the top of the highest mountains. And we'll meet Him there in the rapture. Hallelujah. At the second coming, however, He comes to this earth. At the rapture of the church, Jesus will claim His bride. And at the second coming, He comes back with His bride. Hallelujah. At the rapture of the church, only His own will see Him. That's very important to understand. When the rapture takes place, everybody in the world's not going to see Jesus in the air. Only the Christians, only the true believers will see Him at the rapture. But at the second coming, every eye shall see Him. Immediately after the rapture, the tribulation begins. And immediately after the second coming, the millennium begins. So those are just a few of the contrasts between the rapture and the second coming. The verse we started with in Zechariah is, a, is an Old Testament prophecy of the second coming at the end of the great tribulation of the Lord Jesus Christ. He returns with His saints to judge the earth at the end of the Great Tribulation. According to the book of Revelation, <clears throat> all those living on the earth at that time will see Him. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7 says, Behold, He is coming with clouds, and every eye shall see Him, even they who pierced Him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of Him. Now John, in the book of Revelation, in chapter 1, and verse 7, he jumps ahead to the end of the story. I want you to understand that because when you get to Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, that is a picture of the rapture. But in chapter 1, John just kind of gives a, a reason for his writing, a reason for the vision that was given to him, the revelation, the apocalypsis, which means unveiling. He gives a reason for it and he talks about the power of the second coming of Jesus in chapter 1 verse 7. Skipping ahead to the end of the story so to speak. But in, Re in Revelation chapter 4 verse 1 you're actually reading, you know it says come up here, you're reading of the rapture. Because the church age is referred to in chapters 2 and chapters 3 of Revelation Chapter 4, come up here, is the rapture. The church is never mentioned again. 
through the rest of 4 and 5 and all the way until the second coming of Jesus Christ where His saints come back with Him. Again, another reason, that's a second reason, why I'm personally convinced the rapture is a pre-tribulational rapture. Now let me say something about that at the beginning of our time today. There's a lot of fear that's in the world right now. There's a lot of fear that's in the church right now. And how many knows today that God does not want us living in fear? That we are not to fear anything that is coming upon the planet. And sometimes we comfort ourselves, and rightfully so, as the Apostle Paul said, comfort one another with these words as he was describing the rapture. He was describing the fact that the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, top of the mountains, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Comfort one another, wherefore comfort one another with these words. The Bible talks about a time when King David encouraged himself in the Lord, and I think if there was ever a time when believers needed to encourage themselves in the Lord, it's today. And that's why it's important that you know the book. Know the Word of God. Pour over its pages. Read it like never before. Commit it to memory. Commit it to your heart to encourage yourself in the days that we're living in. And a lot of people have it in their minds. And it is absolutely wishful thinking but they have it in their minds that nothing bad is going to happen on planet earth until after the rapture. And nothing could be further from the truth, my friends, today. We see terrible tragedy that takes place in our world every single day. And it could come home to roost even in America. I don't say that with gladness, but I say it to let you know that there's no sense in deceiving yourself in some kind of blissful fog. You need to be aware of what we might possibly face so that we can face it in faith and not fear. We can face it with the Word of God and not fear. God doesn't give us prophecy to scare us he gives us prophecy to prepare us. Amen? And so, many people really believe. I mean, I talk to them all the time and they really believe that nothing bad's going to happen until after the rapture. Here's the truth of the situation. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. But that's not the great tribulation. Okay, so there's, there's a difference I want you to see there before we get into our, our, our discussion on the rapture here. There's tribulation that all of us have throughout our lives, and sometimes even more so after we become Christians because the devil attacks us with everything he has to try to steal our faith. That's tribulation. The mundane efforts... To maintain a life includes tribulation. But thanks be to God, we are promised through the blood of Jesus that we can have joy unspeakable and full of glory 
all along the way. Amen? Hallelujah to God. So that's tribulation. We all have it. We all face it in our lives. But that is not the great tribulation, which is a seven-year period of time. And the most intensity of it will actually be the last three and one-half years. But all seven years is great tribulation. All of it is bad. All of it is horrible. And that's the time of the wrath of God. The Bible tells us that as Christians, we are not appointed unto wrath. That's a third reason that I've given you just here in this little talk this morning. That's a third reason why I believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. We are not appointed unto wrath. Jesus told us we would have tribulation, but we're not going through the great tribulation. There are two different, two different usages of the word tribulation. Jesus could have said, you will have many problems in your life and many bad things will happen to the human race and you, it might include you, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Hallelujah. So we put our faith in Christ and we have joy in life no matter what we're going through. And then there's the great tribulation that the church will not go through, but people will be saved during the great tribulation. And I kind of want to leave that there and get back to my point. So many people really, truthfully, honestly, sincerely believe that nothing bad will happen until after the rapture, but they are wrong. And not only will we have the everyday life tribulation, not the great tribulation, but we will also have an intensity in the frequency of the signs of the times before the rapture. And I personally believe the battle of Gog and Magog, Ezekiel 38 and 39, will probably be before the rapture. Planet Earth is in for devastating days, but we, hallelujah, as followers of Jesus Christ, praise God, have a hope. And it's the blessed hope He's coming for us. He's coming for us. He's coming to take us home. He's coming to take us to glory. It's called the rapture of the church. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Dig in. Get ready to face fearful times with faith. Trust God. Believe God. Serve God. And understand that there's a difference between life tribulation and the great tribulation. Keep looking up because your redemption draws near in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's read Revelation 1, 7 again as the Apostle John skips ahead. And he says, Behold, he's coming with clouds. Every eye will see him. That's the second coming. Even they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of Him. The reason He's coming again is to provide the judgment that this earth deserves for having rejected Him. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8 says, Jesus will return in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So the major feature of the second coming of Christ is that He's coming back to set things right on the earth. Let's kind of underscore that in our minds. The major feature of the second coming at the end of the seven year tribulation is that Jesus Christ is going to come back to set things right upon the earth. Every wrong will be made right. Hallelujah. That's a powerful thought. Every wrong will be made right. Sometimes we wonder how long God will allow tyranny and unbelief and rebellion to continue. And the Bible does not tell us the exact date when God, when Jesus will return. It does assure us that one day He will come in judgment to set all things right on this earth. But as we read our Bibles, we discover that before this great day of judgment, Jesus returns to gather the saints to Himself. That's the rapture. Some call it the first stage of the second coming. Let me explain that a moment. Often, when I teach Bible prophecy, you will hear me say there are two stages of the second coming. What I mean is, stage one of the second coming is the rapture of the church just prior to the Great Tribulation. And stage two of the second coming is seven years later, after the Great Tribulation, at the conclusion of the Battle of Armageddon, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, when I mean the rapture, I'll say rapture. When I mean the second coming, I will say second coming. And you have to understand what we're speaking of at this point. At the rapture of the church, Jesus will come in the air for His church to remove her from the coming tribulation. Seven years later, at the end of the tribulation, Jesus returns with His church to judge the wicked and to usher in His glorious kingdom. The second stage of the second coming is coming in power and judgment. And that is us, that coming, the second stage of the second coming, the second coming of Christ has many signs. You can read a lot of them in Matthew 24 and Luke 21. A lot of signs that have to be fulfilled first. But His coming in the air for the church, for all who believe in Him, could happen at any moment now. Glory be to God. There are no signs that need to be fulfilled before the rapture. That's why it's so important that today we get it right. Today we live it right. Today we love Jesus with everything within our hearts and that we love other people in His name. It's so important because He could come in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. He could come before I get the next word out of my mouth and I want to be ready to go. How about you? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He could come at any moment. Now there's two passages basically. There's more. There's, there's many. Let's say it this way. <clears throat> there's many passages in the New Testament that allude to the rapture, that foreshadow the rapture, that picture the rapture for us in type and in shadow. 
there's two major passages that we're going to deal with here today. One is first is in 1 Corinthians 15, the other is in 1 Thessalonians. The doctrine of the second coming of Christ is well accepted by the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Most everyone who calls himself a Christian believes that Christ is coming back again. The real issue comes in in how they see it fulfilled. Some people uh, believe that the Lord Jesus will return after the tribulation and that the church will go through the tribulation. We do not believe that is biblical. I've already touched on that. The problem with that view is that Scripture assures believers that they will not have to face the wrath of God. In Romans 8 and 1 tells us, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's finish that verse. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Just because someone says they're a Christian, but if they're flesh-controlled and flesh-dominated, they may miss the rapture. But if you're walking after the Spirit... If you're walking in the Spirit, if you're Spirit-filled today, if you're letting Jesus have control of your life, then you will not face the wrath of God. There is no condemnation for you. And when the rapture takes place, you will go in the rapture. Hallelujah to be with the Lord forever and forever. Now, I'm not going to be able to touch on everything about the rapture here, but I'm just going to give you some thoughts. I'm going to read these verses as we proclaim our belief in a pre-tribulational rapture. As God's people, we will not be judged in the tribulation. Jesus Christ is coming to receive us to Himself, and we're going to be raptured or taken away before the tribulation begins. Now that's my understanding of the Word of God, and I believe it's an accurate understanding of the Word of God. People today have so many questions about the rapture. Many want to know when the rapture is going to happen, and the answer is, we don't know. Others want to know who is going to be taken away to heaven with Christ. We do know the answer to that question, all who have believed in the Lord Jesus. The people who were living in Paul's day, however, had a different question. They all believed in the rapture, incidentally. And they were excited about the fact that they would be caught up to be with the Lord. But they wondered, what would happen to their loved ones who had already died? And Paul writes his first uh, letter to the Thessalonians to help believers understand what was going to happen to their loved ones who had died and how they were going to be incorporated into God's marvelous plan for the rapture of the church. Let's read it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. So, we understand that the English word rapture is not in the Bible, but the, the doctrinal teaching behind that word is right here in this text. It reminds us, folks, that when the Lord Jesus comes back to receive His own, we will experience a glorious moment and a time of spiritual ecstasy and joy as we're suddenly caught up into the Lord Jesus' presence. What a day that will be! Have you ever stopped to just meditate on how glorious that's going to be? All of a sudden, you know, we're just living life. We, we maybe, maybe, this is just conjecture, but maybe we got up in the morning and we had our coffee and we read the Word of God and we prayed and we're getting ready to go to work and we take a shower, we walk out to the car and just before we get into the car, the rapture takes place and instantly, in the blink of an eye, we are in the presence of Jesus. It's just like stepping over the threshold of a veil. Instantly translated, hallelujah. It's what happened to Enoch, you know. He walked with God and he was not for God. Took him, the Scripture says. And that's what it's going to be for us. One moment we're going to be walking upon planet earth, going about our business. The next moment, before you can even think about it, before it even dawns upon you, before your eye can even blink, you'll be in the presence of Jesus Christ forever and forever and forever. What a glorious day. In that moment, hope will burst into reality and believers will experience the fullest joy ever known. And truly it is, as the Scripture says, a joy unspeakable. Who can tell it? Human language fails us. Human thought fails us to even comprehend what this rapture of the church will be like. Hallelujah. And I'll just tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I don't want to miss it for the world. I don't want to miss the rapture because of a fling with a floozy. I don't want to miss the rapture over a can of beer. I don't want to miss the rapture over a glass of wine. I don't want to miss the rapture over the telling of a lie. I don't want to miss the rapture over a dirty movie show. I don't want to miss it. It's going to be so glorious. And I don't want to go through the great tribulation. I want to be safe and protected in the arms of my Jesus. I don't want to miss the rapture because of sin. But I want to live holy before God. And I know that many of you do as well. So we're going to do a, just a brief preview of the rapture here for the remainder of our time. Uh, Paul said, first of all, in that passage, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus the first thing that Paul does is dispel believers' ignorance. 
And that's why we preach the rapture of the church today, is to dispel the ignorance in some parts of the body of Christ. And I don't say that in a smart way. I'm just saying we're all ignorant about something until we find out. You know, Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren. Whenever he says that in the Word of God, it's because his readers are lacking knowledge or lacking information about a very important truth. He wants the Christians at Thessalonica to be filled with truth, to be filled with hope about their believing loved ones who have died. Then Paul, in a sense, describes the believer's death as those who have fallen asleep. The word asleep comes from the Greek word, and I can't pronounce it, so I'll spell it, K-O-I-M-A-W. And it does not mean to sleep in a natural way, like when you go home and put your head down on the pillow and go to sleep. Instead, it is used here to describe the physical death of Christians, how the body of a believer sleeps in death. There's a number of passages where this word is used uh, to refer to death. In Acts chapter 7, verse 60, here's what it says, Then he, Stephen, knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. What happened to, to Stephen? His body died. He fell asleep. His body did. Of course, you know <clears throat> that the soul and the spirit lives eternally. Every human soul and spirit lives eternally either in heaven or in hell. Heaven if you're a Christian. Heaven if you believe in Jesus Christ. Hell if you're lost and you reject Jesus Christ. But the body falls asleep couched in that Greek word in the terminology there. Acts 13.36 says, David, after he served his own generation, I love that passage, after David had served his own generation, let you and I today as God's people serve this generation. How do we do that? We do that by preaching the Gospel to them. Hallelujah. We do that by meeting their physical needs and by meeting their emotional needs, but mainly we meet their spiritual need, which is preaching to them Jesus Christ and Him crucified. David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and was buried with his fathers. And then in 1 Corinthians 15.20 it says, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So when believers die, the Scripture basically says that their bodies have fallen asleep. The early Christians had a very wonderful word for the place that they buried their loved ones. Uh, it is the Greek word komaterion. I, I believe that's how you pronounce it. Komaterion. And it means a rest for strangers. A sleeping place. It's the same word that we get our English word cemetery from. And it's the same word that was used in that day for any kind of a hotel or a motel or an inn. Think of that. That's the word they used for hotel. So when we die, and this is a picture of the place where we, we bury our believing loved ones, the body of the believers, their soul and their spirit, 
has gone on to be with the Lord Jesus Christ if they're believers. But their bodies are just laying in the motel waiting for the resurrection. Hallelujah to God. Now that's the Greek word that is used. Hallelujah to God. One day the Lord is coming. And then those bodies are going to be raised up with God and reunited with their soul and spirits. See, that happens at the rapture. Many people say, well, I don't believe in the rapture. And I say, well, do you believe in the resurrection? Oh, yeah, I believe in the resurrection. Well, then you're believing in the same thing because the rapture and the resurrection are the same event. When, when the Lord Jesus comes back for His church in the rapture, He brings the soul and the spirit of the dead Christians with Him and reunites it with their sleeping bodies. That's the picture that the Word of God gives us. Hallelujah. You see, with, with Jesus, it's always wholeness. With Jesus, it's always completeness. With Jesus, it's always fullness and all in all. Follow, follow what's being developed here uh, from these Scriptures. I'll give them to you again. Acts 7.60, Acts 13.36, Acts 15.20. Talking about the believer's bodies being asleep, and we understand that the soul and the spirit instantly upon death, when that body falls asleep, the soul and the spirit leave and goes back to be with the Lord if they are believers. If they are unbelievers, then sadly and tragically they go to hell. And there's no other real way to put that. It's just the truth. It's just the fact of the matter. And that's why it's so important that we serve our generation. We preach the Gospel without fear, without favor, without compromise. You see, the Gospel is not about you getting a self-help plan for your life. The Gospel has to do with the eternal ramifications of your soul and your spirit and where you will spend eternity. Hallelujah. And taken up in all of that in Christ and Him crucified, which is the answer to the salvation of man, taken up in that is the other things that we need as we live our lives. But we need to preach the Gospel to this generation. The encouraging truth here is that just as physically we sleep and expect to wake up the next day, it's the same way in the spiritual realm. When we die, we can be assured that one day we will be awakened, our bodies will be awakened by the return of the Lord. He will come to the hotel where we are staying and wake us all up so that we can go and be with Him. We have a wonderful hope. It is a believer's hope. And it's only a believer's hope. And if you're not a believer today, you can have this hope by putting your faith in Jesus Christ and receiving Him into your heart and life. This is why in the third part of 1 Thessalonians 4.13, he said, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Paul wrote this to the Thessalonians so that they wouldn't be sad. He wanted them to understand what would happen to their believing loved ones who had died. I'm going to say it again. Immediately upon the death of the Christian, when that body falls asleep, the soul and the spirit instantly goes to be in the presence of the Lord. And, and there's so many scriptures 
that we could use to prove that point. We're going to go on ahead of, of that today. And we're not going to deal with that. But you can just take it from Brother Paxton, and not just from Brother Paxton, but take it from the King James Version of the Bible, that the, the, the Word of God is true. There's no such thing as soul sleep taught in your Bibles. Instantly, when you die, if you are a Christian, you go to be with the Lord. Your body falls asleep. If you are not a Christian, sadly, you go to hell, and your body has fallen asleep. And the resurrection of the damned is another thing altogether, and we're not even going to get into that today. But the resurrection of the righteous, when the rapture takes place, and the sainted dead come up out of the grave, the wicked do not come at that time. Okay? But we're going to leave that there uh, for this particular teaching here today. The Bible says that when you know Jesus Christ and your loved ones go into the hotel, the commuterion, where the body stays until Jesus comes back, that there is hope. We still sorrow, of course. I cried when my parents died. I cried when both of them died. But I did not despair because they knew Jesus. My tears were tears of sorrow mixed with joy because they knew Jesus. And I was sad for me that I wouldn't get to see them anymore and I wouldn't get to spend time with them anymore, but also the joy of knowing that they made it. Hallelujah. That they belong to Christ. Hallelujah. And that they will live, praise God, eternally in His presence. Hallelujah. I knew that they were with the Lord waiting for the day when their bodies would be reunited with their spirits. This truth keeps us from mourning as those who have no hope when we stand at the gravesides of our loved ones. This passage is really a great commentary on 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 and 55. It explains how Christ took the sting out of death. The Bible says death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? Christ changed death to sleep. Christ told us that death is not final. Death is simply reclining, falling asleep, and waiting in the presence of the Lord for the day when the body will be resurrected. And the dead will not be left out of the rapture. In fact, they have a very prominent place in the rapture because the Scripture says they rise first. They rise first. Hallelujah to the Lamb forever. Let's notice what Paul says as he gives a certain promise of the rapture. He says, This we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will by no means precede... <coughs> Some translations use the word prevent. That's an old English word for precede. Those who are asleep. 1 Thessalonians 4.15 Here's what Paul's saying. I'm speaking these things to you by the word of the Lord. This was God's direct revelation to Paul, the great apostle, concerning his plan for the future, now revealed to us in Scripture. The dead in Christ will not only be present at the return of the Lord, they will actually have the pl a place of prominence at the return of the Lord. Verse 16 says the dead in Christ will rise first. The word for first in the ancient Greek text is the word protos, 
which means first in order chronologically. And it also means important. So here was this group of people in Paul's day, wondering what was going to happen to their loved ones who had died in the Lord, whether they were going to be in the rapture or not. And Paul comforts them with these truths. When the rapture comes, it's not just for those of us walking around on this earth. It's for those who have been saved and their bodies are in the grave and their bodies will be resurrected first and that is very important in the plan of God. That's what that Greek word protos means. And then that brings us here uh, to the chronological program of the rapture. We have four very important thoughts uh, in the passage. First of all, there's going to be a return. There's going to be a rapture. Let me say that again. There's going to be a rapture. There's going to be a rapture. Get it in your mind and in your heart. And don't let anybody talk you out of the doctrine of the rapture because most of them don't know what they're talking about. There's going to be a rapture. It's all through the New Testament and it's even foreshadowed in the Old Testament. For this particular message, we're not going to look at all of those things, but in messages coming up, uh, we will. First Thessalonians 4.16 For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. Do you remember what happens when the Lord comes in judgment? <clears throat> his angels are sent down first to be emissaries of His judgment. But in the rapture, the Scripture says the Lord Himself is coming. The emphasis in this passage is about the personal return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's in keeping with the words of the two angels who spoke to the apostles when Jesus ascended. In Acts chapter 1, verse 11, they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw Him go into heaven. There's going to be a return. If Jesus is to descend in the same manner which He ascended, then we can certainly expect His coming to be personal, physical, and visible. It's not the Holy Spirit who is coming. It's not one of God's angels who is coming. It is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself who is coming. He's leaving heaven to come down here to catch up His bride, the church, to be with Him. Now remember... It's visible to us. If you're saved, if you're washed in the blood, if you're born again, if, you're, if you have faith in the Lord Jesus, you're going to see Him. The world will not see Him at the rapture. They will at the second coming. Praise God. When He comes, there's going to be a shout. There's going to be the voice of the archangel. And there's going to be the trumpet of God. And that's a whole other message. We're going to preach a whole message on the shout, the voice, the trump. Hallelujah. And these are not many people. Let's, let's put it this way. I, I personally believe these are three sounds sounding simultaneously. 
That's a mouthful. Let's say that again. Three sounds sounding simultaneously. The rapture will be a sudden and a stupendous event. Even as the ascension of Christ was a sudden and stupendous event. Amen? In like manner as He went, that's how He's going to come back. He went physically. He went visibly. He went powerfully. And He's coming back physically, visibly, and powerfully. Christ will be seen by His children as He physically returns and takes them up to be with Him. Praise God. The resurrection. After the return of Christ, there is going to be a resurrection. Notice when it says, and when I say the return, I'm talking here about the rapture. Actually, the rapture and the resurrection, again I'll say it, are the same event. The dead in Christ will rise first. This is not the resurrection of all the dead, but only the, the resurrection of the dead who are in Christ. There is another resurrection coming later, the second resurrection, that comes when all unsaved humanity will stand before God at the great white throne judgment. And you don't want to be a part of that resurrection. But the first resurrection, the resurrection of the dead in Christ, will be a glorious moment. The 20th century Scottish commentator William Barclay wrote this about the believer's resurrection from the dead. The man who has lived and died in Christ is still in Christ even in death and will rise in Him. Between Christ and the man who loves Him there is a relationship which nothing can break. A relationship which overpasses death. We are in Christ. We live in Christ. And we die in Christ. And one day, we will be raised in Christ. Now, the dead in Christ rise first. Jesus, Jesus comes. The dead in Christ rise first. Resurrection. And then we who are alive and remain are caught up together and raptured. The term rapture comes from a Latin word raptir, rapimir, which means to catch up or to take away. Both the Latin and the English translation caught up in verse 17 derive from the interesting Greek word harpazo. Harpazo. Which has a number of different meanings and all of these meanings are important uh, to what's going to happen to us at the rapture. The first meaning of the word harpazo to carry off by force. Sometimes that's used in that fashion. And the devil will do everything in his power to keep the saints here on earth. But the Lord Jesus will overpower Satan and his cohorts, delivering us by his omnipotent power. The Lord will overcome any resistance to the rapture. And I don't know what kind of resistance that there might be. It happens so fast that it could just be that it completely catches Satan off guard. Hallelujah to God forever. And no man knows the day or the hour. Some commentators stress the fact that Jesus doesn't even know. Only the Father knows. And the Father will tell Jesus when it's time. And does Satan intercept that communique? I don't know. But if there is any resistance, it will be completely overpowered. 
uh, by the first meaning of the word harpazo to carry off by force. The second meaning of the Greek word for caught up, harpazo, is to claim for oneself eagerly. At the end of this present age of grace, how many is glad that we're living <clears throat> in the age of grace today? Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Let's just take a moment and praise Him. Praise you, Jesus, for your mercy. Praise you for your great love. Praise you for your grace. Hallelujah. Thank you for loving us, God, as sinful and wicked as we are. Thank you for extending grace to us and mercy to us. At the end of this present age of grace, our blessed Savior will come for us to claim us as His very own because He has redeemed us by His precious blood and purchased us for Himself. The Lord Jesus will surely come for us. And notice the second meaning. Remember now, harpazo, caught up. First meaning, to carry off by force. Second meaning, to claim for oneself eagerly. Here's what I believe, and I, and I think you can see it in the language of the Greek there. Jesus is eagerly looking forward to the day of the rapture. Jesus is eagerly looking forward to coming and getting us. Jesus is looking at it with great anticipation, longing for and desiring to rapture us. Praise God. Praise God. So harpazo, caught up in the Greek is harpazo, to carry off by force, to claim for oneself eagerly. And the third meaning is to snatch away speedily. This emphasizes the sudden nature of the rapture. It will be in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, according to 1 Corinthians 15.52. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall all be changed. In split-second time, the Lord will call all believers to Himself to share in His glory. The Lord God is going to send His Son Jesus to catch us up to heaven in a split-second of time. And the fourth meaning of the word harpazo is to rescue from the danger of destruction. And it's in that fourth definition of the Greek word harpazo, which is the word we get caught up, is the fourth reason or the fifth reason I've given you today. I can't remember which now because <laughs> I'm not talking about reasons why I believe in a pre-trib rapture, but that's certainly one of them because one of the very words uh, one of the very meanings of the word harpazo is to rescue from the danger of destruction. If we were not taken in the rapture, we would be destroyed by the wrath of God. And we're not appointed to wrath. We're not appointed to destruction. We are saved and blood washed. We are redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And He will rapture us before the great tribulation. Hallelujah. If a person believes in the inspiration of the Scripture, he must believe that the Holy Spirit chose this special word to tell us that believers will be caught out of the danger. That means we won't be in the Great Tribulation. We will be caught up before the Great Tribulation begins. Again, let me mention, that doesn't mean nothing bad is going to happen to us in our life, okay? And that doesn't mean 
the bad things aren't going to happen on planet Earth to the people of planet Earth before the rapture. It just means when you think great tribulation, think wrath of God. Don't, don't think bad stuff happening, although it will be bad stuff happening. But think wrath of God, because there's bad stuff happening now. <clears throat> and we're going to go through it until we take our last breath. But we're not going to go through the wrath of God, i.e., the great tribulation. We will be raptured out of destruction. Glory be to God. We are not appointed to be destroyed. We are appointed to eternal life. You might wonder, has anything like this rapture ever happened before? Has there ever been a rapture that's been recorded? Well, here's a few examples. First, there was Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Hebrews 11.5 Let that be our testimony today. Let us live our lives in such a way that we please God. And then there was Elijah. Remember him? It happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. 2 Kings 2.11 That would have been something to see. What about the Apostle Paul? There was a day when Paul experienced, experienced uh, something similar to the rapture, only he came back. He said this, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for man to utter, 2 Corinthians 12, verses 2-4. through 4. And finally, there's Jesus Christ. Here's what the Scripture says. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as He went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, <clears throat> why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, hallelujah, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw Him go into heaven. Acts chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. So through these examples from Scripture, we can understand more fully what the rapture will be like. I love what the Scripture says about Enoch. He was not, for God took him. Glory to God. I mean, they looked for him. Have you seen him anywhere? They couldn't find Enoch because he was not, for God took him. One day, they're going to say about every Christian on the face of planet earth that's alive at that moment, and the dead in Christ rising first, they are not, for God took them. Hallelujah. God took them. Hallelujah. God took them. Hallelujah. Don't, you know, the, the news media and the scientists with their mumbo-jumbo might try to talk about how some alien invasion took place and we were all sucked up into flying saucers, but don't you believe it, mister? When that day comes of the rapture of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, it'll be because God took us. Hallelujah! It'll be because Jesus raptured us unto Himself, sparing us the, the wrath that was about to be poured out on planet Earth because earth has rebelled against God. Hallelujah. 
I'm looking forward to that day. I'm looking forward to that day. There's going to be a rapture. There is a return. There is a resurrection. There is a rapture. And here's the good part. There will also be a reunion. Hallelujah to the Lamb forever. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 says, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Let me tell you what kind of reunion uh, this will be as I hurriedly close this message today. There are three important aspects to this reunion that will occur together. When a person dies, the soul and the spirit leave the body and go immediately to be with the Lord. The body then goes into the dust of the earth, into the grave. But God cares about the body. And so in the rapture, the dead are going to rise first and immediately their soul and their spirit will be reunited with their glorified bodies. That's the first part of the reunion. Hallelujah. The resurrected believers are going to meet all the living believers in the air. This means that while the dead in Christ are going to be resurrected first, they're not going into heaven first. We're all going in together, praise God. There's going to be a meeting in the air, in the sweet, sweet by and by. Oh, there's going to be a meeting, a meeting in the air. Hallelujah. And we will all be ushered together into the presence of the Lord. And finally, this reunion will be a royal reunion. The imagery that Paul used in his writing described the way kings were treated in antiquity. When a visiting king came on an official visit to a foreign nation, the king that was hosting him would never come right into the gates of the city to meet the other potentate. Instead, the king would send ambassadors out of the gates of the city to meet him. And they would usher them into the city in a formal way. That's exactly what Almighty God is going to do for us at the rapture. He's sending the Lord Jesus Christ to gather us all up. We're going to have this reunion in the air outside of heaven. And then we're going to be ushered together as one great group of people into the presence of Almighty God. What an encouragement. There is a return. There is a resurrection. There is a rapture. And there is a reunion. Hallelujah. And so I encourage you today to live for Jesus. Live for Jesus with everything you have. Don't go to hell over sin. Don't go to hell over any mystery. Don't go to hell over your favorite can of beer. Don't go to hell over your favorite punk rock song. Don't go to hell over living your life like the world lives their life because you have a different power source for living. The Holy Spirit of God. Receive Christ today. Walk in the Spirit today. Be washed in the blood today. And all of this encouraging glory can one day be yours. Hallelujah. Lastly, let us look at the comforting purpose of the rapture. 1 Thessalonians 4.18 says, Therefore comfort one another with these words. I've preached this at funerals occasionally because this, according to the Bible, 
is a comforting passage. And the Bible says that when we know this truth, we are to comfort others with it. We do sorrow at the loss of a loved one. But we don't sorrow as others who have no hope. Because we have hope. And where do we get this hope? From the Word of God. That's why we should take the hope passages and comfort each other with them. That's what we do with passages like this. We encourage one another that one day, if you are a Christian, and if your loved one was a believer and a Christian, you will see them again. You will be together again. You will be reunited for all of eternity. The Lord Jesus is going to come back to take to Himself those who have believed in Him. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. First uh, Thessalonians 4.17 After the rapture, believers will never know. Now listen to this. Listen to this. Listen to this. Hallelujah. After the rapture, believers will never know the meaning of the word separation again. Ever. We will never again be separated from our believing loved ones. We will never be separated from Almighty God. We'll never be separated from the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll never be separated again. We will be forever, all of us together, with the Lord. And that is the meaning of the rapture and the first resurrection unto life that belongs to God's people. So as I close this message, I ask you right now, if you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, you need to do so immediately. You need to live for Jesus. But most importantly, you need to understand that you're a sinner and you need a Savior. And that you cannot save yourself from your sins. But God provided a Savior, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and shed His blood in payment for your sins and for mine. And if you will trust Him, if you will believe that, if you will put your faith in Him and ask Him to come into your heart and to wash you in His blood and to change you, He will do it and you will be saved. You can take that step today. And give your heart to Jesus Christ so that you can be part of that first resurrection, that rapture of the church. And be with the Lord for all of eternity, rejoicing in His glory rather than suffering the torment of a devil's hell. God loves you so much. The Scripture says it very plainly. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that word believeth in Him doesn't just mean, oh yeah, I, I believe there is a Jesus. That's not what it's talking about. The word believeth means follow, receive. In other words, live for Jesus. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever lives for that begotten Son shall never perish but have everlasting life. Live for Jesus today. Receive Him as your Savior. Receive Him as your Lord. And let Him sanctify your life. God bless you today.